1: We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Anna Harmon, who is the co founder and CEO of an incredible company, super fun company, by the way. I love it. Uh, It's called Studs. And uh, we're going to be chatting with Anna, who is the co-founder and CEO. And I'm so excited to hear really about her entire journey as I was doing a little bit of research on Anna. Uh, I love hearing how all of these people who, it seems like a lot of people that we have on our show is they've gone from a totally different industry and they've decided that they really want to do something that they're curious about and passionate about. And they think there's a market for it. And that is definitely Anna's story. Uh, She started out as an attorney, I'm married to a recovering attorney, as um, he likes to say, so um, definitely understand that. But great training for everything else that you were going to be doing. You were at, I heard, or I read Bridgewater Associates. You were there for a while. Incredible. And then you joined FITS, um, an in-home services that organizes your closet and then you and I were just talking, we have a mutual friend, Jenny Fleiss, who uh, was at, uh, at the Store 8 um, for a, a while, um, and, uh, with, which is an incubation group within Walmart. Very, very cool. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Oh, and then the final thing, you were the chief customer officer at Jet Black, which is very, very cool. So thank you so much for coming on. And I'm really excited to chat a little bit more about all things Studs and also about Anna. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, definitely. So for those who aren't familiar with Studs, I didn't give too much of it away. Share a little bit more about what the company is and
0: how you decided to start it. Sure. So Studs is an ear piercing and earrings destination. We launched with our first store in late 2019. We now have 8 stores about to be 9 next week, and we are a place where you can come in and get a healthy and safe needle piercing. We only do ears and then we sell earrings. And we are really excited because for Studs, we're really reimagining what the ear piercing and earring buying experience can be and and we've gotten a lot of really positive customer feedback since we've launched.
1: Did you always have a lot of piercings? Did you have a bad experience?
0: I'm so curious, like what made you decide to do this? So I actually didn't have a lot of piercings. I had my normal lobe piercings and had gotten my cartilage pierced um, when I was probably 16. And then actually totally randomly when I was probably 33 or 34, I went to go get another piercing. I had been inspired by a friend of mine who had a really cool ear And I went to a really premium place in New York City, and was going to have to wait two hours, and it was going to be really expensive. And I sort of was like, "Well, where else would I go?" And I ended up going to the tattoo parlor to get pierced. And while the piercing experience was great, you know, I loved my piercer, and the it was very healthy and safe. I was very personally out of place at the Mm -hmm. tattoo parlor, and I hated the jewelry, and it was still expensive. And that really sparked my curiosity about, well, if you're me. Or if you're a 25 year old me or an 18 year old me, where do you go to get a needle piercing and buy earrings? And the answer is really not that many places. By and large, for most customers in the U.S., you would go to the tattoo parlor. And I thought, wow, what, that's such an opportunity for innovation, given that the tattoo parlor is not for everyone. Absolutely, no, I,
1: I totally. I was as I was doing some research. I, you know, it's interesting because there's so many tattoo parlors and Mm -hmm. yet there are not a lot of places where you can feel safe and and also not just safety but i also feel like there's creativity in it too because there's probably some people that come in it's not such a straight shot of okay i want a hole in this ear a hole in this ear right there's lots of different you know What? how many numbers, how many do you want in each year, whatever it is. I mean, and then obviously the actual earrings that go with it too. So it's very, very, very interesting the more I dug into it. So before we get too much deeper into it, I would love to go back a bit and so hear about kind of your... Your inspiration for actually becoming an entrepreneur. You started out as an attorney. You want to take us back a little bit? Like, what did you think you were going to be? Obviously, an attorney um, (laughs) when you were just getting started, but tell
0: me a little bit more about that. Sure. So, I was a very um, stubborn and argumentative only child and always knew that I wanted to go to law school after college. And I loved law school. I think learning to think in a structured and highly pragmatic manner was very additive for me. Um, And I knew I wanted to try being an attorney, but I knew I probably didn't want to become a partner. And how
1: often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Rosetta Stone works, and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. To subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
0: So I left law school in 2010, and it was interesting because I had been what's called a summer associate in 2009. Mm -hmm. And 2009 was probably literally the worst year one could have ever been a summer associate based on the global recession that was happening. And so when I graduated in 2010, I was really lucky to even have a job. And I went to my firm and I had said to them, You know, really, I want to be in litigation, but if litigation isn't busy, I'm willing to really do anything because most important to me at the time was to not get fired. Sure. So they placed me in a department that really focused on securities law. And while I loved my boss, the partner that I worked for, I did not love securities law. I found it extremely boring. (laughs) Um, And so I spent about two years doing that and then decided to leave and go join Bridgewater Associates. And mostly I went to Bridgewater because... I really knew that at some point I wanted to run my own company and Bridgewater, for those that don't know, has an incredible focus on management fundamentals. And so I really wanted to go there in order to learn that. And I felt like it was going to also be very culturally aligned to my personality. And so I spent uh, four or five years there. And then once um, I felt like I had gotten this sort of management black belt from Bridgewater, I left and... I went to a series of startups, as you mentioned. Uh, One was called FITS, which is a services-based startup. Another was Jet Black. Um, And that experience really helped me sort of solidify that the type of company I wanted to work on when I had an idea was going to be a consumer services business Mm -hmm. and that I would use my background, both the management experiences I'd had at Bridgewater and my legal background, as well as my startup time to help inform my ability to start that kind of company.
1: Yeah, no, it's an amazing experience. As I mentioned, my husband, who's been the chief operating officer for Hint for the last 16 and a half years, I mean, he is a recovering intellectual property uh, Silicon Valley attorney. And, you know, people were like, wait, what does he know about ops? But I think just that training that he had Mm -hmm. really critical thinking just helped so much. And, uh, Anyway, it's, it's so interesting to, to sort of, for, for people who don't know what they're going to do with the rest of their life, go out and try things, I think is, is really the, the key thing that I feel like you're just a perfect example of. You've done a few different things and sort of pieced them together and figured out what you're most interested in. And so I, I love it. So the entrepreneur side of this, had you ever thought about being an entrepreneur?
0: I had always known that I really likely wanted to start my own company. And I was probably, you know, when I look back at my, even my childhood, I was sort of very entrepreneurial. One funny story that my parents often tell me is I would, again, I was an only child. So I was sort of left to my own devices frequently. And I would frequently set up Um, a little store in my room so that when my parents came home from work, they both worked and were very inspiring to me in that way. But when they came home from work, I would sell them back the things that they had bought me. So I was operating in this like little tiny retail store in my room, you know, selling them a toy for a quarter and a block for a dime and things like that. So I think I was always sort of really interested in the idea of having my own thing And that has really driven me, I think, along the way where I always knew that at some point I would start a company. um, I just didn't know what yet. I'm
1: laughing or smiling over here as I'm hearing you say this, because I used to uh, play cash register with my parents um, when they would do it. And finally, no one would play anymore. By the time I think I was like 12 or 13, they Mm -hmm. were over it and they thought I should be over it too. So I got a job in it. In a toy store working Sundays at age 14. And the key driver for me was being able to do the cash register. Exactly, I was like, I, I was like "It's going to be so fun! I get to do the cash register. I tell all my friends, like, I get to learn how to do a credit card machine and all of these things." Like, I know they're like, "Wow, that's that's awesome!" But I I actually did really think it was awesome, and then ended up learning a bunch of other things along the way. So I'm I'm laughing. You would have you would have been my girl. Um, yeah. so who would have understood why I I loved the cash register more than anything? So what was kind of the The key thing that you've learned in starting a business that even though, look, you've worked in startup environments, you've seen a lot, um, you have great experience, but you walk in to start your own company. What do you think was the most surprising thing that just nobody had told you about about going and hanging a shingle, I guess,
0: to some extent? You know, it's so interesting. I'm curious if you've experienced this, but uh, people really... People tell you all of the things you sort of already know, like it's going to take a lot of grit. It's going to take a lot of determination. You're going to work long hours. None of that was a surprise to me. The thing that was actually and continues to be, I think, the biggest surprise to me is no one tells you what it's like if it works. And what I mean by that is you hear all of these stories of I started a company and, you know, we never really found product market fit and it was it never really worked. People didn't really like what we were selling or businesses didn't want to buy our software product or whatever. I think it's people don't talk as much about, well, if it does work, it's a really long journey and it's not a, it's, it's not a get rich quick scheme, right? You were saying when we were talking before, it's been 16 years, right? Like this is an evolution that is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And I think people don't talk about that a lot. Successful Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs don't talk about that a lot. They talk, you either see them more as an outsider for their success versus for the wow, this was like a, I'm on mile two of what could be a 26 mile race. That's how I feel now. And I'm like, I'm so lucky that I can be on mile two, but I'm on mile two. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, definitely. I remember when we were starting Hint, shortly after actually, they sold to Coca-Cola, but I remember vitamin water had sort of gone on my radar and I was a diet, huge diet Coke drinker. Vitamin water wasn't my thing, but I knew people who were drinking and it was super hot and obviously growing crazy. And uh, I couldn't believe that they were 12 years old by the, by the time it went on my radar. And I always considered myself to be a consumer. My dad had started a brand called Healthy Choice years ago. So I was always like on the lookout for new brands. And and uh, it, was, it was amazing, you know, to, to sort of, Know that there's, it takes a lot of time before a lot of people know about it. And I think even when I ended up meeting the founders of Vitamin Water, I remember hearing like he had a bankruptcy in the first few years and he figured out how to pick himself back up again and come back. I should actually get those guys on here, you know, to talk about it because it's, it's a, it's so interesting to how there there are all these things that happen along the way and you just don't really hear about them. And you just think, okay, I'm gonna start my company and my industry and everything's gonna be great. And, you know, how can I get myself back up? How can I get over that wall? How can I go do things that no one's done before? Right. And um, and a lot of people are gonna doubt you and think that it's a bad idea. Like who who would, you know? Do a bunch of piercings? Well, actually, a lot of people do. So, I mean, like all of those kind of conversations, I think are really probably the most surprising thing to a person starting their own company as well that I found. But I also feel like there's a lot of stuff that goes on in starting a company. One of the things that I say when I'm speaking on college campuses is that there's a lot of things you don't get credit for, right? That you're, you know, you're trying to move the business forward, but you don't. Like, people aren't thinking about the fact that, you know, you're looking at your bank account in terms of making payroll. You're like, you've got an employee who's thinking about maybe moving on to something else, right? And, you know, you want to make sure that you don't lose that employee or like, it's better if you do lose that employee, like all of these kind of things are not really part of the business, but you're having to deal with those things. Get advisors, um, you know, always be networking, be on the outside of the company, not just on the inside of the company. And so I think there's so many things that when people say, "I want to go be an entrepreneur, I always say to people, there's ways are ways to make money right? And so you have to really, really have a great idea and be super passionate about what you're doing because there's going to be hard days, right? Where you're just like, oh my God, I can't even explain this to
0: anybody and they they won't understand it unless they're an entrepreneur. Totally. And I think no one, what you're really describing is like the vicissitudes or the (laughs) sort of daily unsexy things that you have to focus on. And I think... That to me was, it's interesting, like that was less of a surprise. It was more like, oh, this could be that I'm focusing on these things for many, many years. Yeah. (laughs) Like it takes a long time to build a really big, successful thing. Very few of these things are overnight successes. Yeah, definitely.
1: And even if you have been working on, like you work on uh, companies that were offshoots of, of Walmart, I mean, I always talk about my dad being at Healthy Choice, it was first an armor food company and then a ConAgra company. And so he had, he had budget that he was internally negotiating for, right. And space he was negotiating for in the freezer cases. Mm -hmm. When I went to him and I said, how do I get hint into Safeway? He's like, I I have no idea. Right. How do I start (laughs) a new category? How do I go this idea that I have is not in the planogram because it's a brand new category called unsweetened flavored water. How do I get it into a planogram? I don't know. I have no idea. And he was incredibly smart like and and I'm like, "Come on. Like this is frozen, <laughs> this is beverages, but but again, like it's just it's a whole different ball." So, mm-hmm. I I definitely appreciate everything that you've done. So, one of the things that I was thinking about was The pandemic. And so how did your world
0: change? So you started Studs when? November 2019. We opened our first store and we had opened a second store literally two weeks before we closed it because of COVID. Oh my God.
1: And so what was the world like?
0: I mean, restrictions, right? I mean, everything. Look, it's funny because obviously now we've To some extent, I guess you would say, come out of it. Studs has certainly come out of it as a business. If the world has come out of it, I think is still time will tell. I think the thing that was the most sort of interesting or hard about it for me was we were off to such a fast start. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really challenging. It was like we were going 100 miles per hour and all of a sudden we were going zero miles per hour. I also happened to be eight months pregnant. (laughs) So that was also a challenge during all of this. Um, And so, we had launched the first store in Soho in New York in late 2019, and we it was just such an indicator of the idea's viability because the store was mobbed. I mean, we would have crazy lines, like huge crowds in the store. People really wanted the thing that we had brought to life, and we were so excited about that. And then we had just opened the second store, and then all of a sudden, things really ground to a halt, and all of our revenue, you know, 80 plus percent of our revenue had been coming from those stores. We had really wanted to launch the company to start as a physical business with e-commerce as a halo. And so when this all happened, both we had to go through the process of, okay, well, we've lost all of our revenue. What are we going to do from a company perspective? And then separately, I then had to give birth And then we had to start and turn our attention really to the e-commerce business, which we hadn't spent a ton of time on prior to launching. And we spent most of 2020 really focused on. And we were very lucky because the e-com business really started to perform, which was a frankly, an open question to us when the pandemic began, began, because it wasn't like an obvious category for people to be buying when you're sitting at home. Like you don't need earrings when you're sitting at home. As it turns out, you do want earrings when you're sitting at home because you're on Zoom all the time. Sure. Um, and it's a way to accessorize in that context, which is interesting. And so we were really lucky because not only did e-commerce grow and was able to fuel our team during that period of time, when we reopened and we reopened our stores in September of 2020, We also were sort of like, will anyone come back? Because you're still in a global pandemic. No one has yet been vaccinated. Ear piercing is obviously a deeply optional thing to be doing. Like you have to get your teeth cleaned. You don't need to get an ear piercing, right? But people, I think, after having been cooped up for so long, really wanted to get out and do something. And so we really saw the stores bounce back almost immediately. And ever since, it's been, it's sort of like nothing happened. And so we're really lucky in that regard. But I think throughout, at any given point, if you had asked me, I would have said, look, some possibility this business is totally structurally affected by the pandemic. And there certainly were businesses that 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 happened to.
1: Yeah, for sure. So how did your business model change then? So you went heavier into e-commerce and obviously that won't be going away, right? It's not like it's an alternative. Um, it's actually something that you probably learned was possible, right? And you'll continue to grow that. So you learned, I always feel like in challenging times, it's, you didn't necessarily plan to learn these things or go in a certain direction, but the successful entrepreneurs that I've seen over the years and know many of them are the ones that are able to change directions quickly and be flexible, but are actually constantly
0: figuring out how to move forward in some direction. So. Yeah. We were really lucky. I mean, I think if, when we launched the business, e- e-commerce was called 15% of our revenue. Now e-commerce is, for certain months, is 50% of our revenue. That's great. Even though, right. Even though we now have eight, almost nine stores. And so I think that's that's a huge advantage for us, right? It means that the business is not only reliant on one channel. Um, and two, I think it's also proved to us that we have an opportunity in e-com that I don't know that we knew we had when we started the business.
1: Yeah, for sure. Or... I feel like there's people, too, that I've talked to where they weren't planning on launching certain types of business. There's many people that in the food industry, for example, who weren't focused on e-commerce at all. I mean, today, if you don't have a direct-to-consumer business, I mean, you're really risk, right? I mean, for sure, because who knows what is going to happen um, in the world going forward. So we can all be hopeful, but definitely be prepared. So yes, more than anything else. So you recently, so you have eight locations. You were just sharing that uh, you're opening next week. So probably by the time this airs, you will have your ninth location. Congratulations. Very exciting. Uh, Thank so you so much.
0: How are you picking your locations? Sure. So we start with where do we have a pre-existing e-commerce customer Um, So that's a helpful guidepost for us. And then I think, you know, we really believe studs can be everywhere. And so while we are starting in major coastal US cities where you would anticipate any retail brand would begin, we have two locations in New York, two in Austin, uh, about to be two in Boston, two in LA, one in Miami. I think through time, we are very focused on studs should be in New York and Soho and studs should be in college towns, right? Because that's our our target audience. We really have a customer that's between 18 and 35. And we think that ear piercing as a service is really for everyone. And so studs should be everywhere in order to provide it to as many customers as possible. That's a great idea. I can totally...
1: Uh, speak to that. I have a few college kids myself. So um, for sure, I think I could see it ending up in some of these towns. And I think parents would probably feel a little better about it, um, knowing that it's a clean environment, it's a great brand, all of those things. So, so what is earscaping? I was doing some research on, on
0: that and uh, talk to me about that trend. Sure. So we coined the term um, and trademarked it. So what it means is the combined art and science of getting multiple piercings and then decorating your ear with multiple earrings. And the reason that we came up with the term was because really people are not getting ear piercings to have holes in their ears, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting an ear piercing to tell the world something about yourself, to self-express. And so for us, it was really about, well... How do we create an environment in the stud stores that can help you earscape? And so when you come into a store to get pierced, it's a highly consultative experience. To your point earlier, when you were talking about, well, how do I decide what I'm going to get, etc.? Our earscapes um, artists or our piercers are here to help you actually decide, well, I am going to get this piercing or that piercing because a, I have the anatomy for it, but B, it's going to help me actually decorate my ear once those have healed with really fun earrings in a way that helps me tell the world something about who I am. Are there artists that are known, more known than others that people are requesting? No, you know, we really are focused on building a, peer, a community where you can go into any studs and have the same customer experience. And so we're really focused on uniformity in that way. But I also think like, One thing that's always been really interesting to me and I love now that I have so many piercings because of studs, is people really comment on it. Like your friends, your peers, people who see you on the street will be like, oh my God, your ear is amazing. Like where did you get all of those piercings done? How did you decide on that? And so I think it's really one of those things that can be very inspirational to other people. Just like for myself, the reason I went to go get the second piercing that even spawned the whole idea of studs was I had a friend who had an amazing ear and she inspired me. Do you think you'll go beyond ears soon? You know, it's interesting. Right now we're very laser focused on ears and earrings. I don't think it would be impossible, but I also think one of our differentiators is how focused we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want to continue with that for certainly the time being. What's the most requested other than ears? Oh, for our customer, certainly I think nose piercings, like nostril piercings and septum piercings. So interesting. So I'd love to hear a story about a challenge or maybe even go
1: so far as to say it was a failure that you've had in your journey, maybe with studs, uh, but share what you ultimately learned from that experience.
0: Sure. So I think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about studs is studs is obviously not reinventing something that didn't exist, right? You could get your ears pierced before studs. You could go to Claire's, you could go to a company called Piercing Pagoda, you could go to Walmart and get your ears pierced. And so for us, I think the biggest challenge when we were even starting the business was one, convincing investors that the market was large enough and that there was a great enough need for the business to exist relative to the pre-existing options. And so I think that was has mm-hmm. always been a challenge for us. I think in particular, trying to figure out how big the market for piercing is, is a place where people are sort of always like, well, but is this sort of niche and do people really wanna do this, et cetera. So I think that's always been a challenging um, thing to communicate, which is sort of funny to me because you look around and you look at ears on the street and you're like, oh my God, people have tons and tons of piercings. Like this isn't a small market. So I think that's been one challenge. I also think the, the second challenge has been, how do you actually convince a, a um, c- community of people in piercers to come and work for you, right? In an industry that typically has been closer to the counterculture, I would say, than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was definitely like starting our first store and hiring our first piercers was, I would say, much harder than I expected. But, and what I mean by that is more so people were sort of like, one, Do I even, am I interested in the thing you're doing? Are you sort of co opting the counterculture in a way that I don't like? And two, do I believe that you're even going to be able to bring this thing to life because you yourself are not a piercer, right? And that wasn't, and so it wasn't like I had this expertise. I was a facialist that could open the facial salon. Sure. And so it was much harder than we expected in the beginning. We've since, I think, really systematized it and made it a much easier process. But it's not like there was some pre existing, you know, perfect pool of piercers to go and recruit from. Piercing is a by and large deeply unregulated industry. And then to the extent that it is regulated, it's very state by state, county by county. And so that means that there's no like trade organization. And so even finding those initial people to come and work at the store was a was a real effort that involved, you know, I was on St. Mark's Place like poking around saying, you know, we're we starting this thing. Are you interested? And people were like, you're starting this thing? <laughs> yeah.
1: Why is this going to work? And I'm sure they sized you up to see if you had the experience, if you had, you know, all of those things. And I've frequently said that I think experience is overrated, right? I think that People who have an idea and uh, a relentlessness, um, having that attorney background, I think also is, um, is something that you're a fighter, right? You, you are going to go and figure
0: this thing out. Yeah, you sort of have to relentlessly believe that the thing, your idea should exist, and if you and if as a result you will will it into being, if that makes sense. But I
1: bet to you know the thing when we were launching Hint, I would tell people about my diet coke addiction and how I'd given up diet coke and hated the taste of plain water. I just was bored by it and, and I aspired to be a water drinker, but it just wasn't going to happen. And and so I uh, started slicing up fruit and threw it in the water. And people would get so stuck on diet coke, they would and especially. 17 years ago when I'm raising money, a lot of men and men are not typically diet Coke drinkers. I and mean, there's some that really like the taste of it, but they're just not, that's not the core audience. If you ask, you know, Coca-Cola or anybody who's in the diet soda industry.
0: So they would not be interested because they were not the consumer. And totally. And we, right. To what I was saying before around, you know, convincing people that this was an opportunity it was the same. We had the same experience, right? Yeah, where you, totally where some some investors were like, "Oh my god, obviously this should exist," and some were like, "This seems sort of niche and like not that in, not that interesting." And how many people even really do this, etc. And I so I think it was one of those where we can't we were always encountering sets of people who were so excited and sets of people who were like, "This seems like a small business."
1: Yeah, so interesting. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story. I'm I'm really, really excited to get into studs and, and definitely next time I'm in New York, um, for sure, I want to check it out. And so tell people how they can find out more about studs and keep in touch with all the creative stuff that's going on there. Sure. Please visit us at studs.com or at studs on Instagram. Perfect. And then you, Anna, do you have a Uh, preferred place where people can follow you and
0: a lot about your entrepreneurial journey? I am not a very public social media person, so they will follow me by listening to this. Okay, perfect. That sounds great. Well, thanks everybody
1: for listening to this episode and as uh, you know i I love for everybody to subscribe to this so you can make sure to not miss any incredible episodes that I have with creators like Anna, uh, mostly founders and CEOs, uh, but also every now and then incredible books that are really geared towards. That audience as well, and please be sure to give this episode five stars. It really, really helps the algorithm to get it out there. Uh, as I was mentioning to Anna, this podcast is now trending all over the world for entrepreneurship. Um, but we also have incredible CEOs who are on here too, who really are authentic and are not afraid to share kind of the real story. So there's a there's a bunch of new ones coming up too. So definitely stay tuned. And we are here every Monday and Wednesday. We are probably adding another day uh, soon too. And uh, definitely follow me on all social platforms at Kara Golden. And if you haven't read my book or listened to my book on I share my journey of building hints. And I hope you'll reach out to me and uh, ask me any questions. So thanks everyone. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks again, Anna.